The criticism of one is more valuable than the praise of a hundred. Jim, that's such an impactful quote from the founder of Akuma. It is. I saw that on their website the other day, and I just had to repeat it because, you know, they're going to be at IMTS. They are a leader in machine tool technology. And you know how they get there? By getting feedback from their long-term clients. They passionately pursue those customers and they use that in order to open possibilities into the future of Akuma. Very well said. I can't wait to see their booth at IMTS September 10th through the 15th. They're going to be right when you walk into the South Building. They're going to be smack dab right in front of everything. They're going to have 21 machine tools. They even told me they're going to have six to eight hybrid machine tools, which is the additive and subtractive machine tool technologies there on the conference floor. How exciting is that? Talk about open possibilities. Bam. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I am joined by my co-host, Jim Carr, for about the 160-some-odd times. I know. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that intro, and it's good to be here at Zenger's today. We're, we've got a lot on our plate this week, and it's nice that we didn't have to drive to DMDII today to do this pre-interview before my interview with Rob Sattler, but... Yeah, when I hit that record button today, I'm like, man, we've hit that record button a lot of times together. Yeah, 160 and, uh, sometimes. It's not, it's not getting old. We're just going to have to keep making iterations to make it more exciting and fun and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, because the, the Metalworking Nation wants good interviews to equip and inspire and entertain. Absolutely. And we can do all that. Yes, we can. All three. So before we move on, I just want to leave you with this before we go on to the manufacturing news. So I did this interview with Rob Sattler. He's an IMTS rock star, and I'm, I'm looking forward to letting you hear it and hearing your post commentary on it. But Rob is a great, he's a dynamic manufacturing leader. And all I could think about is because you're such a big foodie, you know, the concept in restaurants nowadays is farm to table. So I, after I did my interview with Rob Sattler, I thought he's from the farm to the shop floor. So uh, see if that pulls through in the interview that I did with him, that concept of farm to table, farm to shop floor. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And I, I kind of figured that you would pull something out like that. So yeah, something, thank you. something with a little bit of foodiness to it. But manufacturing news, oh my gosh, you know, I get so pumped up when I read these kind of articles, and it's not a very big one. I see it, I knew it, but I had no idea it was going to be this good. The Institute for Supply Management's factory index jumped 3.2 points to 61.3, topping the consensus for 57.6 and exceeding all estimates. Yeah, that's the ISM manufacturing index. It's the main index that we all in the manufacturing industry follow. My dad used to say this every month. Did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they said? So now- it, And anything above it, 50 is positive, right? Right. And, and 63.3 is like outstanding. It's huge. It's what, would the like, highest. what would like 99 look like? 
Oh my God, <laughs> I'd be I'd be dead. But at the highest since May 2004, as orders, production, and employment all picked up, offering a positive sign for the economy, even as the trade tensions weigh on the outlook. Yeah, it says in this article that the president wants to move ahead with tariffs on $200 billion of Chinese imports. We'll see how that all pans out, but it'll be interesting. All I know is... I mean, I knew things were good, but I didn't realize they were that good. Well, it's um, so funny. Like, I'm not. Do macro- you gotta, you've got to f- feel a pulse of this, though. Oh yeah, no, no, because people sure. are got to. Oh, you know, yeah, we're yeah. Cu- we're buying cutting tools like crazy. Yeah, we're 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 very busy, but it's it's kind of interesting. I'm not macroeconomics was like one of my worst subjects when I was in undergrad. What is a macroeconomics? It's just a macro view the metrics of the, of the economy. The data. So it's like the overarching economy and like the factors that affect that. And it's not my strong suit. I'm probably not even explaining it very. Well, well, you better go back to college then. Well, no, I don't need to do that anymore. I still don't understand exactly how these tariffs are going to impact impact the manufacturing economy specifically, good or bad. I always hear like a bad thing about the tariffs. You know, somebody says, well, it's negatively affecting my business. But then I hear two people saying, well, no, it's positively affecting my business. So it's really hard to see. I think it's just a matter of if you think that these tariffs are going to be a permanent part of our at least near future, if you need to realign your business because it's going to affect you negatively, you better do it now. You better do it now. Absolutely. If you need to look for different customers, you better do it now. You better do it now. Anyway, with that said, I just wanted to say that I always get excited. I always like to share that excitement that I get when I read these type of articles because it just it's a resounding sign that things are really good. We are having a manufacturing renaissance and it's exciting to be in manufacturing right now. I can't wait to hear the metrics post IMTS and see how many millions of dollars in new machines were sold and how many machines were actually. I I wonder if all the machines are ready that are going to be at IMTS are sold. Well, I think that there's going to be people fighting over those machines. Oh, there's going to be bidding wars just like on houses. If they haven't already been pre-sold for the most part. A lot of those machines might be pre-sold. Yeah, I I can't even imagine. So it's it's awesome. And it's, it's awesome to be in manufacturing now. And it's all good. But I want you to hear the episode with Rob Sattler from Sattler Inc. And are you ready to go to it? Yeah, let's go to the interview. Right. You know, Jason, I'm always making decisions on trends that I see and hear in the manufacturing industry. You know, I, I, I meet with you. I meet with our friends from our manufacturing association. And when we sit and talk about what we see the trends are in our industry, it helps me prepare for decisions I'm going to make tomorrow. That's what I think the MT forecast is really going to show me and anybody else that attends it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, Jim. You need to have that data, but it also helps if you can interpret that data. So you need to understand what is going on with the data trends and how to use that to make decisions. Dissect it, digest it, and let it resonate with you to make those really impactful decisions for tomorrow. I'm looking forward to being there October 10th through the 12th, learning from all these industry professionals, helping me make better decisions on my business going forward. And I'm really looking forward to getting up close and personal with the leaders and my peers in the industry. When is the date? 
It's October 10th through the 12th. Go to mtforecast.com to sign up. And there's an early bird special until September 17th. How much is that going to save you? $125. I'll take That's it. some data. I'll take some. Bam. <laughs> Hello, Metalworking Nation. Jim here with Making Chips. I'm so glad that you tuned in to hear me interview this fantastic episode with one of IMTS 2018's rock star manufacturers. His name is Rob Sattler, and he's got a great story to tell. I've had the pleasure of talking to him for a little while before we hit the record button. Just a great story. Rob has a family-owned and operated company in Northeast Michigan, just just northeast of Detroit and about 10 miles off of the Canadian border. And tell you a little bit about Rob. He's currently the Vice President of Sales, Estimating and Engineering at Sattler Inc. in Ira, Michigan. And Bob's been with the family-owned company for 24 years. Before that, he worked in a sales engineering operations and program management role with a couple different manufacturing companies selling robotics. Rob has his BS in mechanical engineering and an MBA in business, both from the Michigan Technological University. Rob, welcome to Making Ships. Well, thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. When Jason and I interview people in manufacturing, I always get the sense that everyone from around this wonderful country all have the same identities. We've all been through the same things. You and I have talked just a little bit over the last couple of days and you shared with me the family dynamics. And as you were telling me all of those things, I related back to the stories that I've heard and shared on making chips and also my own story in manufacturing with my dad starting a machine shop that I own and operate and my son being in it right now. So it's just a great community of people. I love sharing unique individual stories. So why don't you tell us just a a little bit about Sattler, Inc. It started in 1994. My father and brother had put together a dairy farm, and they were working on the dairy farm. But my dad had done that after a 35-year career in the metalworking industry. So he was a machinist. He was a machinist, as was my grandfather. My grandfather had started a company called LaSalle Machine Tool in the 30s. My father took over in the 40s and took it pretty much worldwide to quite a large corporation in Detroit, over a 1,000 employees, nine plants, three countries. In the late 60s, early 70s, business was so good, it made the banks nervous because you need cash flow to run these companies. Aha. So things were really hopping. Absolutely. And we got to the mid-70s. There was so many orders, so much work, the bank actually suggested that perhaps LaSalle should merge with a a larger company that was cash rich. So the company merged, but really at that time it was a sale, which for transfer lines in the machine tool industry was probably a pretty good time to move on from there. After the sale of the family business, my father got with my brother who was graduating from engineering school. And he says, you know, I want to try something really different. 
And that's when they started the dairy farm together. And that went for the better part of 10 years. But during the course of building up a dairy operation, by the way, the real fantastic system that they developed was a manure handling system, believe it or not. It was worth about $30,000 worth of fertilizer in the fields per year. No it kidding. was a system that Michigan State, the farming classes would actually come out and tour the automated operation for manure handling and distribution in the fields. So, but at the same time, as they're doing these wonderful things, he was starting to build up a bit of a machine shop because you need a machine shop in order to fix implements, tractors, etc. Sure. So they're on the dairy farm, you're working out of pole barns, and your brother and your dad have an aha moment, the light bulb goes off and say, hey, we could probably put a couple of, this is in the mid-80s, Yes. CNC machines, because we, we all know that there weren't CNC machines, well, there might have been some, but not too many back beyond mid-80s, right? So they had this aha moment, let's put some CNC machines in the pole barns and start doing work for your own farming industry. Is that right? That's how it ended up. But okay. my father, uh, he really liked going to auctions. So he picked oh, he was up, an auction guy. He, he picked up a couple of these machines, and during the winters, farmers get a little slow. So he, with my brother, rebuilt these machines, and it was my father kind of teaching my brother the hands-on workings of machine tools. So after they had rebuilt the second one, we had a family meeting. I had been in industry for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. I had another brother in Grand Rapids in a machine tool shop. And we decided, he says, we can either resell these machines as rebuilt machines, because we're having a lot of fun doing that, or we can actually put them to work and start a machine shop. That's when the decision was made, and that was 1994. That was 1994. So it's your dad, you, and your two brothers. Yes. We also At that had, time. We also had a sister that was working on the farm, so she split her time. So we had four out of the eight siblings wow. were involved in the business. No kidding. Yeah. Tell me how that started out. So you had the idea. It seemed like you were already making chips, right? You were doing metal cutting before 94. It's just you realized that in 94 that you're going to take it to the next level. Yeah. Tell me the progression then. So who was in the sales row? Who was going out to the market to sell these rehabbed or new machines? Well, that, that would be me. But again, we decided to put those machines to work and start machining. It was my role to go out and get some parts for us to machine. And we were really starting from scratch. We had some used machines. We had a lot of experience. My father with mechanical and oh, yeah. aeronautical engineering degrees, right. 35 years and, and having built up a very large company. And I had been around for about 15 years, and my brother had, had 10 years of hands-on with machinery and equipment. So you weren't newbies. You weren't green. You weren't fresh out of college. You had some work experience already, so you knew what to expect. No. <laughs> <laughs> no we you had, didn't, we you had didn't know the about the family dynamics, right? <laughs> the family dynamics and starting from absolute scratch yeah. in the Detroit area, as in the Chicago area. Sure. There are literally thousands of yeah. machine shops. It's the Rust Belt. Yeah, here we are. And the competition for work, the type of work we could get. And the first thought was that these are CNC machines meant for making production. 
Mm -hmm. You can really kick out a lot of parts. So our initial business was knocking on the doors of production parts manufacturers. Okay, got it. And we got overflow work from them and maybe service parts orders. Okay. So they found us to be a pretty good deal because they could pretty much dictate the price to us, what they would pay to let us be in our business, so to speak. And we filled one of the hay barns with crates of small castings, brackets for engine mounts and and that sort of thing, and put the machines to work. And it was two 10-hour shifts, five days a week, and usually six to either catch up or get ahead. Wow. And it was just, it was rugged work. First of all, manning two shifts when we're just starting off. And the wage we could pay for our employees, our competition was McDonald's. Okay, so it was minimum wage. Yeah. And they were just operators. They were just pushing buttons. Push they, buttons. Could, and, could, and they, could they utilize micrometers and calipers to check dimensions on a print, or did you have a separate inspection department? Or it, Another thing, too, Rob, what did this pole barn look like? I mean, was it a dirt floor? Was it... It was. You're shaking your yeah, head. Yeah, they started. They started as as farm buildings. So we'd store right. That's what I'm thinking. Hay, hay, that I, kind of thing. Because I'm thinking but, this conversion here from farming into a machine shop, a pole barn. You know, is a little rustic, pretty, right? Pretty rugged. Yeah. 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 I mean, did it have? Obviously, it had heat. You're in the upper Midwest, right? Yeah. 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 No, we finished them off quite quite proper. Sure. So if it's a if it's a pole barn and you got the sheet metal on the outside, so we'd put the six to eight inches on the inside of insulation and had the inside sheathed the okay. same way, both okay. the walls and the ceilings. And then we put in proper, you know, a eight to inch of uh, reinforced concrete in the floors. Okay. And we put radiant heating, you know, which is really nice. Right. And so if you walked up to us from the outside, it certainly looked like a farm. If you walked inside, very neat, very clean, organized, and proper. A good environment for a machine shop. So people would be surprised and they walk in these quote-unquote pole barns and see what we had done. So we'd really done them proper. Put in some cranes, that sort of thing, for loading, unloading. It's 94. I don't quite remember how the economy was back then. We've both lived through quite a few recessions in our life, I'm sure. And you know how they went up and down, right? I, I don't know if you were affected by it. Maybe you were lucky enough not to be affected by them, but I sure as heck know that as I was a young man growing up in the business, I remember those recessions like the back of my hand. And every time they'd come, I'd get sick to my stomach and, oh, here we go again, you know? So do you remember that? Were you affected by any recessions? And did you pivot your business model as you moved through the years? Yes, yes. And not only did we have the recessions, the economy going up and down, and sometimes it was a parallel, but the Automotive industry is oh, known Detroit, yeah. for being so cyclical in Detroit. Right, that's, of, of course, course. Who, who we were serving. But we decided... Were you second tier two, the auto yeah, we companies? Yeah, okay. we were tier two. We were oh, tier two. two. Okay. So these, these production manufacturing shops would be the tier ones right. delivering to the And they the were OEMs. subcontracting to you. But it was a year and a half into it, so we, on the one hand, thought, well, we've done well. We've done what we've wanted to do. But it wasn't a nice business for us. The machines with the cast iron parts we were making would just get ruined with the parts that we're putting through them. And the people, it was hard getting them to be at work and stay at work. And two shifts, trying to split the family members among covering two shifts was rather exhausting. And uh, oh, by the way, it didn't pay well. So, so we said, 
<laughs> so we're we want we think we can do something a little bit better than the direction we've Who started. Who was doing the quoting? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, was that you? Oh, well, my dad approved it. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, his, his initials were at the bottom of the proposals, right? That's right. Yeah, I know, That's right. I know, I know. Oh my gosh, no, we were we were all uh, in the same boat. Sure. So, so, so the how, decision, how did the business change? Then? The decision how- was made that we were going to do two things, and one was to go for a lower volume of precision details that Mm -hmm. just any shop with a CNC couldn't necessarily make. And it was also because we had these machine tool builders around town, when they got an order for a large transfer line, they had a lot of standard assembly, standard components. So we would tie in to their standards, and every time they got an order... They would need, you know, 50 clamp units for this transfer line. So we would get the clamp housings, big casting sort of things, and get repeat orders that way. The other thing that we decided to go into was to start doing some assemblies, sub-assemblies of uh, maybe a clamp assembly or a conveyor stop or a pallet lift, that kind of thing, so that we could manufacture the details, buy the commercials, and assemble a sub-assembly. And we did that because we realized that some of these tier one customers needed people to do that. That type of work was going out and we thought we could fit the bill. Mm -hmm. Did your three brothers and sisters always work in the business? And what, tell me how the organizational chart was. So your dad was the leader. Was your dad the final decision maker and all the big decisions, everything? He He was running it. Yes. And then underneath your dad was? My brother, Paul. Your brother, Paul. Brother okay. Paul. They had worked together oh, through putting together the whole farm. Well, they'd put together the whole farm. Okay. So that was 10 years of working every single day on, on, on the projects and rebuilding the CNCs. And I was off in an automation company, automation business and factory controls. So it made sense. Paul is the real hands-on person. And as far as the, you know, engineering sales and proposals, that's myself. Yeah. So Well, that's with, what you had the experience in prior to coming into the family business, that right? That was my background yeah. and, you know, Paul's background. And, and, and it seemed so like a smart choice, the, right? Yeah, we fit together very well that yeah. way. Good complementary skills. Okay, so Paul and Rob so Paul, and... And then uh, David was in the shop running machines and liked doing that. A good setup person. Hands-on guy. Hands-on guy, very much. Knew, and knew how was, to program the CNCs. Knew how to program the CNCs. Yeah. He was very, very comfortable doing that. Had had no interest in, in managing or paperwork or engineering, that kind of thing. Right. Very, very good on the CNCs. Well-diverse family. And well, very you were lucky. Oh, no, you, were, you got really lucky with that. Well, you know, that's very true. It that's is very, very true, true because you might percentage. have you might have three that just are hands-on guys that don't like to engage with customers. They don't like to do paperwork. They don't like accounting. They don't like to write proposals. And they're kind of introverts, right? And yeah. you got really <laughs> lucky. Yeah. You you had your dad who was of the leader and everyone knew he was the leader and you respected him, I would imagine. And oh, it was required. his word was law. <laughs> That's right. And then he worked with Paul for 10 years on the farm. So he was right under him. And then you would report up to Paul, I would imagine, then Paul yes. would report up to your dad. Well, it was more of a direct line between my dad and us, but my dad passed in 2013. Mm-hmm. But before then, my dad pretty much established the hierarchy. And if you didn't like it, you know, there was the door. But that actually is probably <laughs> the reason that things were smoothly, because we were all 
in the various spots and comfortable with those and things work together very well. Right. So, and how about your sister? What was she doing? Mary Ellen, what a spark plug. You know, it's my sister, but she's cute as a button and she could get fantastic discounts from our materials and commercial suppliers. Oh, she knew how to work it. Uh, she'd get a box of donuts besides. <laughs> she was also our bill collector. Oh, the, oh my gosh. And she was artful. Oh, really? She knew the right phone call, the right words to say, the right people to get a hold of. Of course. To, to get us pay. And, uh-huh. uh, and she's something else. But doggone it, she found a boyfriend and actually moved away. You lost her. You know, another loss. So. And when, what year, <laughs> about what your timeline was at? That was about six, seven years ago. Okay. She was split between the books for the farm and, and taking care of ours and sure. uh, you know, the administrative things. So but, tell me uh, a little bit about what's the snapshot of Sattler nowadays? You're 55,000 square feet. You're not in pole barns anymore. You're in a new facility, right? Yeah, but we still have the pole barns. Right. So, so uh, what, what's going on in the pole barns? Yeah, well, we have our, our dirty operations. If you see our plant, we got into a nice 33,000 square foot, beautiful plant, 10 and 20 ton cranes. Beautiful. Half the shop is a beautiful line of Mazak CNCs, and the other side is assembly area, which is great, all, great machine all tool. one foot granite tables. That's where we do our assemblies. It's set up beautifully, radiant heat, the whole shot. We bought a building at the right time. It was about 2009. Oh, when the market, and, yeah, when the market was and, flat. And, and then we took a better part of a year. We put as much into refurbishing it as we did pay for it. Okay. And so it's beautiful. But four miles down the road is the farm, and we kept the farm, and we have a weld operation down there so we can make weldments. We have a paint shop down there, and then we land our steel and cut it up down there. One of the pole barns is actually leased out to another machine shop. No kidding. Very, very talented. A couple of young guys. We've offered to buy them out and come on in the fold many times, but they're striking out on their own and having great success. And, Good for uh, them. So nice, nice people. So we have the 500-acre farm, which is all planted. A friend of ours now puts in the crops and takes off. But so you, you own the property. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, so is Paul and yeah. David and yourself still living in the area, and you're still actively involved in the business? Yeah, yeah. And, and David, has, you, have David has moved on. Okay. So right now it's it's Paul and myself. Oh, as so a, Paul, as the family members in the family. Okay, so just you two. Yes. So David was bought out. Yes. As mm-hmm. was Mary Ellen, or well, no, actually they still have some stock. Sure, sure. Some stock. Yeah. You and Paul still live in the area, and you. Paul actually lives on the farm. Okay. Down, so he's four miles down at the, where the shop used to be. You know, and I, for my purpose, that's way too close to living at work. <laughs> but but he made it work. So he's four miles down. And, and I'm actually about 25 miles away. I'm in Gross Point, which is where our family's from. My father lived a couple blocks away there, so I'm still in that area. So how has business changed for you, and what do you see the latest trends in machining? I mean, obviously, it sounds like you've got a beautiful facility. I have Mazak CNC machines in my shop now. We just bought a brand new 500 millimeter horizontal. Can't wait to start making chips on that one. It's really exciting times. What are you doing? What type of work? You're not doing this production machining on cast irons anymore, right? Correct. So our ideal business is if you talk about our customers being tier one systems manufacturers in the area, their business is that is ideal for us is powertrain assembly systems. So the automated lines that manufacture an engine or a transmission or a rear axle, so drivetrain components. We would design and build or build to our customers engineering the pallet fixtures that go around a conveyor system. And there could be 20 or there could be 
500 of these pallet fixtures. So for CNC's, getting some parts like that, very precise, and they nest all the parts. Let's say the engine block gets set onto that pallet, the piston set, the crankshaft, the nuts and bolts, the caps, the this and that, at the beginning of the line. And then as they go down the line, you either have automation stations, robots, or manual stations to assemble the engine. At the end of the line, you get a finished engine off. Nice. Beautiful. And our part of it is, is so it's maybe a turnkey. The, our customers make the entire line. Right. And our part of it is they can take a nice package, these pallet fixtures. They can take robot end-of-arm tools. And in a lot of cases now, they will take an entire station and have us do the mechanical build. Beautiful. So we manufacture all the parts and pieces. We go out for the commercials, right. and then we do all the assembly and testing on our floor, and then we ship it to them, and they integrate it into the system. I understand. Very so, good. Uh, Very nice. We've built ourselves. And how many years have you has has that been your niche business? I'd say over over fifteen. Over fifteen years. Over okay. fifteen. Okay, yeah. and you're finding it's lucrative, and there's there's a lot more of that. For the future, because that's my next question, yeah. Rob. What, what is the what does the future of Sattler look like? Is, what about business succession plan? Are there any of yours or Paul's or David's or even Mary Ellen's kids that are working in the family business right now? Yeah, that's problematic. That, that's um, problematic. Yeah. Okay. Have, um, you want to share that with us? I, 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 because I, we we sure. all feel your pain. Yeah. Because no. we we all know what that's like. It's, it's not a, an easy thing, right? Uh, no. That's true. That's it's not true. easy. No, I have two kids, and my boy is in the medical area, as is my daughter. My brother's three sons all went through West Point. Wow. Yeah, isn't that something? So they are through their obligations with the military, and they're in some various areas, but not manufacturing. And I don't think they'll be in here. So we have been looking and thinking and trying to choose direction, undecided yet. Okay. But it's a, it's a tough thing. We built something that's really beautiful. Maybe those two young guys that have the machine shop down the street want to end up buying you guys out. That, you never know. Exciting? Wouldn't right? that be exciting? Wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah, it would. Because they're it taking would. it to the next level. Yep. yep you know? Yep, yep, yep. They've got all these new young ideas. They're aggressive. They're highly technological and innovative. And yeah, you never know. I like to ask this to people that I interview in the manufacturing industry because the mission of making ships when we set out to do this podcast is to equip and inspire an existing or future manufacturing leader, maybe those two guys that are in your pole barn down the street. So what three things can you say are the most impactful that you've learned in your career in this industry? And what would you say to look out for? You know, roadblocks or things that really you had your aha moment. I would say, number one, learn to love change because it's going to happen anyways. <laughs> and along that lines, never stop getting yourself trained, educated, learning. It pays dividends. Right now, I'm getting ready for this fall machine tool show here. And just because of the opportunities for eye-opening things to learn. And for me, the one that's really exciting me is this additive manufacturing, right. 3D printing. It's huge. We had a couple of our first jobs along that line this year, a chance to use it. And fortunately, I have a friend owns a company who bought a couple of these very expensive machines and they were able to make the parts. So what I'm pressing for is we do engineering also, SolidWorks and AutoCAD. Sure. And when we're designing, I want our people to really understand what it means to design for 3D printing. 
that's a revolution I think a lot of people just don't understand. Right. And what well, it can do is radical. It's evolving. It's definitely yeah, yeah. evolving. They're getting a lot better with that technology. So that was number one. That What's was number, number two? One. And number two is always get the best tools. Get the best tools. For us, there's a lot of good machine tools out there, and we have focused on Mazak machine tools, the CNCs. We think that those are exceptional. We've had our eyes open for some other types of machine tools, but the ERP system is another fantastic tool for management information, collecting information, letting people check in and out, knowing the status of every job in the shop, having every piece have its traveler, our operators barcode in, barcode out, and then being able to find out the status of things and then dig into the history when the next job comes along. So an ERP system is something that's fantastic. Cool. Now, the and, number three. Yeah, lastly, it's got to be a big one, right? You know, for me, it is. For me, it is. And that's, that's program management. That's like the conductor of an orchestra. Mm-hmm. If you have these well-trained people without direction, you got nothing. If you have these fantastic tools without direction or a plan of what way to go, really a problem. Our customers, engineers, started being required to get PMP certification. Right. And so I saw that and decided, you know, this is kind of a sensible thing. They're speaking a language I don't understand all of, and yet I've been doing program management for 40 years. So I went and took it and got certified, and it's a long, tough test. But, I bet. But I you, bet. Get, you get that, put it on your card, and some people, your customers really appreciate that. But being able to coordinate everything with the training of your employees, with the best tools, with the engineering, and with what your customers' needs are. And the other aspect of it is that because of all the cycles, we have moved to a virtual engineering and manufacturing. We have outsourced, we have a friend of mine that has a company that has people all over the country. So we got like six, eight doing engineers en- doing design. Okay. So when we get a project, we build a team that we need. And when we don't have a project, they are gone. Manufacturing, we have five or six smaller machine shops that we keep busy. So it effectively enlarges the size of our company and the core of our people have never been laid off, zero, forever. Wow. And it's a strong, strong group. That's great. So those, those three things, that continuous training for everybody, always, you can always afford the best tools, and then program management to bring it all together. Very good. Rob, it's been a pleasure to meet you today, and thank you for sharing this little bit of time with us and and helping us equip and inspire a manufacturing leader. I look forward to having our paths cross in the future. I'm, I'm sure, I'm confident that I'll see you at IMTS. Jason and I will be on the Grand Concourse stage every day at 12 noon for about an hour doing a live show there interviewing. Please stop well, by and say hello and shake our hands. And I'd love for you to personally meet Jason as well. Well, so. thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Jim, the East Building has four pavilions. Tell me what these pavilions mean to you. EDM. Electronic Discharge Machining. Quality assurance. You guys make quality parts? Absolutely. And that's a big deal nowadays, too, because everyone can machine parts, but not everybody can machine a quality part. 
How about controls and CAD CAM? CAD CAM is it, man. We use MasterCAM in my shop. There's many, many other manufacturers, quality manufacturers of CAD CAM systems. That and there's going to be more this time around at IMTS. Very well represented, I'm sure. And then the last pavilion is components, cleaning, and environmental. Environmental, another big thing. Got to keep a your lot, shops clean. A lot of your big OEMs won't even do work with you unless you're on ISO 14001, which is an environmental certification. So Eat off that floor. You got to eat off that floor. You got everything's got to be 5S to the hilt. Place has got to look good. But uh, I'm telling you right now. If, if you want to find out about this stuff, go to IMTS.com. IMTS. Early bird pricing is before August 10th, September 10th through the 15th. Mark it on your calendar now. Jim, that was a great interview. Uh, you Thank know, you. I really, I really think that Rob is just your quintessential machine shop owner like he just seems to embody a lot of the things that we talk about here on making chips for a leader that is running a successful machining business yeah I, you know it was a few months ago that i did this interview for imts rockstar the doers and dreamers series and i remember him being extremely authentic and when someone's authentic they're vulnerable and as honest as they can be yeah it was it was kind of interesting that the company started out of a dairy farm or, you know, it, it seemed like really that the dad was like, you know, once again, just your visionary entrepreneur leader, like he couldn't help himself, but come up with new ideas. And when I looked on, you know, some information on Sattler, saw some of the products that they create, it's the automation products are like mind blowing. And I imagine that they're designing and engineering all that. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Like some of the stuff that they come up with. Yeah. So I wonder if, did you notice there was a quote that Rob used in his interview and it said, yeah, I want, uh, yeah, I want to talk about like, so yeah. he had three guiding principles and I, I know really, you love that. Kind I, of stuff. I, I love that kind of stuff. And, you know, I really liked his and it really seemed like he really felt that these guiding principles were the secrets to their success. And like the first one, I loved it. And I think this is what you're referring to, he said, learn to love change. Yeah, because, it's scary. Change because is it's scary. going to happen anyway. It's going to happen no and, matter and, what. You just I, don't, I don't want to be left in the dust. And you know what? I've had these discussions with my team and 80% of my team, we, we have one of our, one of my guiding principles as a leader is continuous improvement. And it's a guiding principle that we have with our VIP customers. And it's also a guiding principle that we have within our company. And when I first started talking about this, and I haven't fully developed it yet, I did start getting pushback from some of my team. You know, some of my team said, well, what if we don't want to change or do things in order to make ourselves better? What if we're comfortable with where we are? Can I answer that question? You can, and I'm interested to hear what you would say. I know well, my answer, because I, I think it. it's. I think it's no matter what industry you're in, I think that if you don't change and you don't adapt, that your competition will, and you're going to get swallowed up. They're, they're going to gradually start eroding and doing things better than you. And then all of a sudden, you're not going to be on top anymore. You're going to be in that third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or 10th position. Then you're going to start losing money. And then it's going to take a lot of time to back float to get back up to the top again. And you that's may not make true. it. You may not make you it. You may not. That's very true. And, you know, I tried to think about it from the perspective of the person. And there really truly are people out there that are comfortable with where they are, who they are, and they don't want to change. And that's okay. They're not bad people. But they're they just not a, right, and they're, they're not they right for your. They team. don't have a place on my team, right? And I want to be empathetic towards them and try to find them another position somewhere else. 
but they're not the right fit for me. They will not make it here. Well, they don't. They're not aligned with your core values. They're not aligned. You know, I and I don't even know. You know, we need to talk about whether that's a core value or it is a core know, value. My, yeah, for I guess sure. I guess it is. Absolutely. We haven't introduced it as a quote unquote core value yet, but it, it very much is. And so I, I thought one of the one of his guiding principles of you know that continuous training for everyone. I thought that was great. You need to keep getting yourself educated. And then his second guiding principle was the best tools and technology for your business. And I couldn't agree with him more about that. You got to have the best tools. I mean, we're we're upgrading our ERP system. You're upgrading your ERP system. Gotta you're buying it. new machines. We're looking at you know how we can do things better here all the time. And I think that also goes back to I'm that whole notion of continuous improvement too. and better cutting tools. Yeah, yeah I know. You. I know. Exactly. You know, we've talked about that. I told you, Jim, I was like, you know, that insert that you're, that milling tool that you're using, do you know that you could replace it with a 12-sided insert? And you're like, yeah, wow, that's great. You know, because then you can reduce the cost of your insert, divide by 12, and that's the, the cost of your insert. And you need to be looking at those things. Right. And then his third principle was, and I, this one, I did not have on my radar. It wasn't something that I thought about, but I really want to talk to Rob about this more. And, and maybe I should formally invite Rob at this point to come back on the show and maybe we can meet up with him on IMTS. But his third notion was program management to bring it all together. And he specifically talked about PMP certification. You know, I'm not even explain what PMP is yet. I know you love acronyms. So what's PMP? Well, I, I hate acronyms. Oh, because you hate I, acronyms. I, I feel like I always have to look them up because I'm, I feel so dumb. But PMP is the Project Management professional. And it's a certification, much like we get ISO certifications or medical or aerospace certifications. So, but the difference is, is that the PMP certification is for an individual, whereas the ISO certification is for a company. Exactly. So when you produce your business cards, a lot of people that have the PMP certification, it'll say like Jason Zenger, comma, MBA, comma, PMP. Have you ever seen like all those people where they've got like a lot know, of a acronyms, ton of acronyms? But, yeah. I don't do that on my business cards, but people that have that PMP certification, they're typically looking for that type of job and they need to show the fact that they are a current registered certified member of this organization. So what and it's you- a big deal actually because I know somebody, we had a person that was managing our vending program, our vending and our integration for a while and he had or he was in the process of getting that PMP certification. So what do you want to talk to Rob about in that capacity? I just want to understand exactly how having that program management and that PMP certification, how it impacts his business. How it helps his company well, to get to the next level. Well, not all his employees have that certification. No, not all of them. I would think it'd be important for his leaders to have that. Well, but I got to be honest with you. I visit a lot of manufacturing companies, a lot of like, you know, your average size manufacturer, like a car machine or a Sattler. They don't have somebody on their staff with a PMP certification. Hmm, very interesting. I'm not saying that none do. I'm just saying that in general... I don't see it a lot. Hmm. I, I didn't even know what it was until I just well, Googled exactly, it. Exactly. So. so I would like to bring him on and I'd like to talk about how does that program management certification, that PMP certification impact your business? What would it look like without it? And what should other manufacturing leaders be looking at in the possibility of hiring somebody with that? And I'd like to know his lessons learned. Yep. I'd like to know what's the ROI on that? Maybe he's putting some of his key employees through that certification sure process. I'm sure but I'd love to know what the ROI is on that. Absolutely. But anyway, before we close this out, I want to re- reiterate that Jason and I are going to be on the main stage at IMTS. It's coming up really, really soon. We've got a lot of 
of high-powered, high-visibility panelists that we're going to be interviewing every day. And if you want to go ahead and see the full lineup of all the panelists, along with their pictures and their bios and their companies, go to makingships.com forward slash events forward slash IMTS. And our full daily schedule will be there. Come by, say hello to Jason and I. We'd love to meet you. Please reach out to us. Tell us the good and the bad about making ships. We'd love to hear that, and we'll try and make some changes going forward. There's a lot of good stuff in our future. We want you along for the ride with us. It's definitely a collaborative thing. This podcast is peer-to-peer sharing, and we certainly want you to be an active role in it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to reiterate, because Jim has a tendency of rambling, the main thing that we want you to do is come and see us at noon on the main stage of the Grand Concourse every single day of IMTS. We've got some amazing panelists that are going to talk to us about six different discussions every day, Grand Concourse at noon. Bam! Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow, customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips. Jim's a uh, uh, like a seven take person. He's, I'm, I'm a one take. Jim's a seven take. <laughs>